our long story short this evening is literally that. A long life lived well and telescoped through the lens of COVID-19. Writing in his 88th year, John Boorman narrates his time in lockdown, surrounded by the splendours of nature in County Wicklow. Cocooned in Animo and writing with one eye and one finger, John chronicles his daily walks in a world fallen silent as we gradually emerge from Covid hibernation. Celebrating the publication by the Lilliput Press, tonight's Drama on One is a dramatic narration of John Boorman's Nature Diary, abridged for radio by Aidan Matthews and performed by the author. One eye, one finger. April Fool's Day, 2020. As I step out of the conservatory facing north, supported by my pusher, the first thing that catches my eye is the chestnut, which is the first to leaf and the first to drop in the fall. It is showing leaf already and soon will sport those tall blossoms like candles on a Christmas tree. Then I see the boulder with Celtic spirals carved on it by my friend Brother Anthony, a Benedictine monk. He spent many weeks carving it and just as the Renaissance artist would say, Pope Pius the what's it caused this to be made. So Brother Anthony modestly carved into the granite John Borman caused this to be made. My only contribution was to feed him while he carved. To the right of the rock is a tall Scots pine with a scary swing hanging from a high branch. A mile behind it is a steep round hill that announces Animo as you come from Roundwood. A little further to the right rise the perfect fan-shaped upper branches of our most majestic great oak. I want to genuflect, but it's 70 yards away and I can't cross that rough ground on my walker. Hanging over the driveway are aspens, more oaks, hazel bushes, a vast, shapeless, overgrown larch, and finally, my beloved twin oak that hangs precariously over the river. I sit on the bench under the twin oak and watch the river go by. This is my minute, vast universe, the only walk on which my legs will carry me. Moving slowly, I notice things I used to flash past. Fourth of April. Those couple of warm days have woken the red squirrels and they are ravenously eating the twin oaks acorns from last year. The squirrels have been here for the 50 years of my stay. 
We had an invasion of grey squirrels. I set a trap with peanut butter. The greedy greys would not allow the reds anywhere near the peanut butter, and so they perished. One acorn from the twin oak evaded the squirrels, the mice, the badger, and self-planted. As it grew, the deer ate off its crown. It sent out a branch as a lopsided bleeder and celebrated today with a growth of healthy leaves. It begins to flourish nature's way. If you make a hundred thousand acorns, one might stick. A few million people will come up with a Einstein or a beetle. I sent Jerry to the orchard to prune the fruit trees this morning. He shares our isolation and works four days a week and does a lot of the stuff that I used to do myself. I prolong my life through others. The coronavirus has gifted us silent skies, clear water in Venice and reduced emissions. It stopped the clocks, locked us up, banned cars from the roads, shot down all the planes, played havoc with the stock exchange, taught us to wash our hands four times every day. Its iron grip on life and death takes our breath away. The low sun lights up the silver birches. They flash at me as I make my slow progress down the drive. Overnight, the wild garlic has appeared at the foot of the lime trees, announcing itself with that lovely heady scent. I sit quietly on the bench, thinking. When my daughter Telsha died, we planted in her name a Himalayan larch. The larch is tall and slender and has parchment-like bark. I can peel it off and write upon it. I had plans to write greetings to her friends, but never got around to it. I stand at my swimming hole as the river hurtles past. Come with me, the river calls. Come with me to the sea. Come with me. Tempting, yes but courage fails.
10th of April. Lee saw the kingfisher today during his morning swim. It is some years since I saw him uh, flash past. My diminishing eyesight, not up to it. The other fisher of this stretch of river, I can see very well. The heron stands stock still on a rock in the centre of the river, pretending to be a stick. When he takes flight, he opens his five feet wingspan and soars up into the sky. It is Good Friday. A clever Hindu scholar asked me to explain. First you crucify your God, then you eat him every Sunday. Why? I go out and brave the bitter cold northeast wind. Thousands of little yellow bud covers ejected by the emerging birch leaves litter the tarmac below. The birch arch is gradually restoring itself. There are a few dragonflies down at the swimming hole and some common butterflies. For 50 years, no pesticide has touched this land. Yet our insect life is sparse. The midges used to drive us crazy. We put heather in our ears to mask the smell of the earwax that they crave. That harsh winter three years ago has set them back happily. The death toll soars in Britain. Down by the Twin Oak, sitting on a bench, watching the river go by, I fell into a timeless reverie. Two birds singing in a deeper register and another with a rasping cry. No swallows yet. Lee in his black Alsatian came looking for me, concerned. Did you fall asleep, Dad? He made us nettle soup with wild garlic, delicious. 17th of April, another sunny morning, an east wind and rain promised later, much needed. I sit on the bench by the twin oak. The birds are busy mating and nesting, obeying the same instincts that drive us to have and raise children. Our subconscious it's calling all the shots. It does all my best writing and has all my best film ideas. I shamefully accept credit. The rain comes through in the afternoon. I go out and let it fall on my face.
18th of April. I go down the hill from the house. The trees look mournful. I turn back. A loss of power. I regret the half bottle of white wine I had with a chicken last night. I tore back up the hill. I get back, drenched in clammy sweat. Sleep in my chair, wake up cold. Lee tells me that yesterday the river was warm for the first time this season. I hear that ladybirds and daisies are seen all over the west of Ireland. But not here. Our altitude always costs us a couple of degrees and a couple of weeks. I'm clearing the view of my perfectly shaped great oak by cutting back the hazel bushes that obscure it. There is a birch that intrudes. Lee pleads for its life. As I await the reluctant oaks to leaf, I ponder and wonder how the oak came to dominate Northern Europe after the last ice age. The birch led the charge north, followed by the oaks. It is hard to understand. They are fragile when young, and so succulent to animals. Lee reminds me that wolves were hunting the deer, which didn't give them much time to nibble saplings. The Hamilton Wood, which leads down to Loch Dan, is primeval. I've walked it and fallen under its spell over and over. I filmed Lancelot riding through a carpet of bluebells and Merlin instructing the young Arthur as he gets tangled up in the wood. Thirtieth of April, a bird is singing in each of the gorse bushes. Why don't you tear down those ugly things? I'm asked. Oh, they've always been there and I would miss them. They're coming into their modest leaf. A small, dull affair. What are their fierce prickles defending? Well, if, uh, for whatever reason, a bird needs to sing close to the ground, a thorn bush's prickles defend it from marauding cats. Now I have a better excuse for not cutting them down. A few more daisies have popped up, a bouquet to congratulate the oaks. Like me, they feared they never would. In these bad times, anything is possible but we can at least celebrate renewal. On this, the last day of the month, I step out. A little to the right is our half-dead sycamore. This sycamore was dying when I first got here. It was 49 summers ago. It was stunted. Its bark cracked and sear. I fed it nitrogen to make it grow, but it shriveled and wilted and branches fell. 
but each spring it flaunts an umbrella of leaves that gains it another year's reprieve. Too old for sex, it no longer makes those helicopter seeds that litter the place. Finally, I reach my beloved Twin Oak. I touch its bark to announce my presence and sit down on the bench. The tree's lower branches dip into the river, causing tiny eddies and making their leaves flutter. I sense the tree casting its spell. I fall willingly under it. The great oak is pumping in excess of a hundred gallons of water per day up the great height of the tree. No one knows how. I was taught it was by capillary action. Even as a schoolboy, that looked very shaky. When I railed against it, I was told by the priest that God moves in mysterious ways. If God created the world, he found that everything worked except getting water to go up a tree. So he decided to make water vapour lighter than air so it would float up to form clouds and expand when it turned to ice instead of contracting like everything else. But when it came to getting it 300 feet up a tree, well, solve that and find God. 9th of May, another warm sunny day. Lee urges me to go with him to our swimming hole. It's a trek at the far end of our stretch of river, only 300 yards, but hard enough over grass with my pusher. Last summer, I ventured into the river alone, after an absence of several years. My feet and lower legs are leaden. I found I could not raise them. I lacked flotation. In order to swim, you need to be horizontal, or at least halfway so. I was vertical. I tried to paddle with my arms to shallow our water, but made little progress. I was being pulled under. I paddled hard with my arms but could not regain the surface. Not a bad way to go in my favourite place in the world. I could no longer hold my breath. I sucked in water exactly as my feet touched the bottom. Old age is a series of retreats and it seemed that swimming was another. Twenty-second of May, Charles Darwin delayed publishing The Origin of the Species for many years because of the effect it would have on his devout wife. It might have gone something like this. Darling, I have some bad news. God didn't create the world. It came about through natural selection. Don't be silly, Charles. I'm off to take communion. Do you really believe that that wafer is actually the flesh of Christ? Of course I do. Why are you crying, Charles?
Lee cut the nail on my typing finger this morning. When the finger pressed the key, the nail hit the key above it. He has promised to cut the other fingers when he has more time. One more thing I can no longer do for myself. Twenty fifth of May. Two years ago, a cuckoo perched in a tree just outside my kitchen door. Its cry at close quarters is harsh and ear splitting. It revealed the cuckoo for what it is a lazy thief. A natural history cameraman friend of mine nursed the ambition to photograph a cuckoo laying its egg in another bird's nest. In the fifth year of his attempts, he finally photographed the cuckoo laying her egg. I saw the final result. She dived in, laid her egg and left. I held the 35mm film in my hands. It was over in 13 frames. There are 25 frames per second, so it took just over half a second. 27th of May. I hear a plane passing overhead, the first for a very long time. In another world. Will the post-virus world be more modest? Will we look back at the supermarket as the high point of the previous era. Container ships and planes, fleets of trucks and huge amounts of fossil fuels were involved in having those items confidently at our disposal week after week. We were known as consumers. Ninth of June. Heavy cloud cover. This morning, as I walked out, looking at my trees that I keep as pets, I was reminded of the six months I spent in the Amazon, the greatest forest in the world, preparing and making the film The Emerald Forest. It was an experience that profoundly changed me. I came to realize that this is a tree planet and we cannot survive without them. When there are more people than trees in the world, we are in deep trouble. Broken clouds and wind. One of the greatest pleasures nature has to offer is the sight of swallows wheeling and dancing in the wind as they were this afternoon. Mrs. Darwin would clap her hands in delight while Charles would point out that they have evolved into insect hunters they are acting out of hunger, not pleasure. Oh, Charles, you are such a spoiled sport. It reminded me of a day during the Battle of Britain, when high up in a clear blue sky, we watched a dogfight between a Spitfire and a Messerschmitt. They wheeled and twisted, but there was no sound. They were too high up. Finally, the German plane fell in smoke and 
flames. We clapped and cheered. The Spitfire dipped and did a victory roll. Wasn't it wonderful, said my mother. They were like a pair of swallows. My final entry, Midsummer. We are told that many, perhaps all, of our decisions are made by our subconscious. We observe the effects of imprinted behaviour in animals, such as migration or a bird knowing which berries are poisonous. How do you explain that one, Charles? Thousands of birds died eating that berry. The birds that survived were the ones that did not eat the berry. Eventually, it became imprinted. Who did the imprinting, Charles? Time, darling. Trial and error over thousands of years. Wrong, Charles. It was God. The beauty and mystery of nature consoles us. But only laughter and the sense of the absurd can sustain us. Take the human animal, this complex body we live in but do not understand. It obliges us to spend a third of our lives unconscious. We don't know why. We cannot grasp the concept of extinction or of eternity. We can enjoy a sense of peaceful well-being while racing around the sun at 30 kilometers per second. We are gifted illusions. We must modestly allow ourselves to be led. I am not the captain of my soul. I'm a poor creature trying to connect. Lee took me in the wheelchair to the huge, perfect great oak that I have been admiring from afar for 50 years. The tree stands on a slope too steep for the wheelchair. Lee carried me in his arms up the slope and I was able to lean against the great oak's massive girth and give thanks. I had to wipe a tear from my eye to view it properly. I was in awe. We came back to the house and I sat down to write this with one eye and one finger. John Boorman there narrating his Nature Diary, abridged for radio by Aidan Matthews. And special thanks go to Jerry Trainer and Lee Boorman. John Boorman's Nature Diary, One Eye, One Finger, is published by the Lilliput Press. Music was by Aoife McCormack from her album, Kuas na Vaan Log.
The Hollow of the Swallows. The programme was recorded and produced by Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.